Gospel of John, chapter 7, beginning now at verse 1. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. What we find in this general theme of this section of the Gospel of John is it's a time when opposition continues to rise against Jesus. And just the mere fact that there was opposition against Jesus sort of amazes us, doesn't it? This was the Messiah of Israel. This is a son of God. This was a sinless man. If there's anything you can say about Jesus is that he never sinned against either God or man. He was the perfect one in our midst. Yet nevertheless, when he came to earth, many opposed him. Many rejected him. You would think that humanity, especially his own people who were waiting for the Messiah, would have opened arms and embraced him, and certainly some of them did. But for the most part, especially the religious leaders, especially those in authority, they rejected him. So much so that look at what it says in verse 1. It says, after these things Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea because the Jews sought to kill him. Now, please understand, we come against something that we see many times in the Gospel of John, many times, not every time, but many times in the Gospel of John, where John uses that phrase, the Jews. He doesn't mean the Jewish people as a whole. He means the religious authorities. He means the hierarchy. He means those in authority, the, the, the bosses, those who ran the religious system in Israel. They were against Jesus, so much so that they sought to kill him. Then, in verse 2... John gives us a time marker. He says that this happened around the Feast of Tabernacles. The three major feasts on the Hebrew calendar, both then and now, were Passover, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Booths, sometimes known as Tabernacles. And what Tabernacles celebrated, among other things, was first of all, it happened in September or October of the year, and so was in some sense sort of a harvest festival. It was always a happy time. The other thing that they remembered was not just how God provided crops for them year by year, but how God provided for their needs in the wilderness. Because when they came out of Egypt and spent 40 years on their journey on the way to Canaan, during that entire time, God provided for them. He provided water in the desert. He provided manna from heaven. And they lived in tents. You you don't build houses when you're on your way on a journey. You live in tents. And so it was sort of a camping festival almost for the people of Israel, both then and now, they would build little frames and put palm branches over them and sleep outside and sort of camp in commemoration of these wilderness wanderings. It was during this feast that Jesus, Jesus had the events happening in this particular chapter. Now verse three, his brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea that your disciples may see the works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he himself seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Friends, there's a lot for us to unpack in just those three verses, verses 3, 4, and 5. The first thing I want you to call attention to is in verse 3 where it says, His brothers therefore said to him, Stop, did you ever stop and consider that Jesus Christ had brothers? He did. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll blow your mind even more. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says that he had sisters. 
brothers and sisters. Now we need to clarify, how did this happen? Well, very simply, we know that Jesus Christ himself, (laughs) it happened very simply, Jesus Christ himself was born of Mary of Nazareth, the biological mother, But on the father's side, he was miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit, even as it's described in Luke chapter 2. This is what we call the virgin birth. Mary gave birth to Jesus uh, by a miracle conceiving in her womb without the normal process of a woman becoming pregnant. So Jesus' father was God himself, not in a biological sense, in that Nobody should think for a moment, and sometimes people say almost blasphemous things to imply that there was some sort of sexual thing implied. No, 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 no. This was a miraculous conception inside the womb of Mary. So Mary conceived, Mary gave birth, but along the way, of course, she married Joseph. Joseph, who was the adoptive father of Jesus, but not his biological father. Well, after Jesus was born, Mary had other children from Joseph in the very natural, normal way. Therefore, Jesus had, and if we want to be precise about this, we would call them what? Half-brothers and sisters. Because they shared the same biological mother, but not the same biological father. Well, Jesus had brothers and sisters. The Bible tells us this, not only here in the Gospel of John, but in several other places as well. Now notice this. What Jesus had in a relationship with his own brothers, we read here in verses 3, 4, and 5. His brothers therefore said to him, depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples may also see the works that you're doing. Now, verse 4, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus' brothers told him to prove himself the Messiah not in Galilee, which is just sort of a backwater out of the way. You know, the people in Judea and Jerusalem to the south always thought that they were smarter, more sophisticated, and more spiritual than the people in Galilee. Yeah, it was one thing to impress the people of Galilee, but if you're really the Messiah, take your show on the road and do some of those miracles, do some of those spectacular things right there in Jerusalem, then you'll really get the gathering, the following, I should say, of people that you want. And so everybody believed this. Everybody believed that when the Messiah came, he would make himself publicly known in some very spectacular way, and Jesus' brothers told him, go down to Jerusalem at this feast time and do it. I think the Living Bible gives a good sense of this. Let me read to you the Living Bible translation. It says this. You can't be famous when you hide like this. If you're so great, prove it to the world. And that's what Jesus' brothers said to him. Now, friends, right away when we understand what's going on in this relationship between Jesus and his brothers, it sort of grieves us in our heart, doesn't it? It grieves us, first of all, because we perceive by this that the brothers of Jesus did not understand the mission of Jesus. They somehow thought that the mission of Jesus was to become famous and popular and powerful. I mean, isn't that the whole point of being the Messiah? Friends, that was not Jesus' mission. Do you understand? That Jesus, before he ever took on humanity and lived in heaven as God the Son, do you understand that Jesus, before he ever came to this earth, he had all the fame he could ever want? Do you understand that in heaven he was a pretty popular guy? 
that he had cherubim and seraphim, these high exalted spiritual beings, worshiping him day and night and honoring him for his all sovereign power that he wielded over all the universe. Jesus did not come to the earth to become famous, powerful, or popular. He had all of that in heaven that he could have ever wanted. No, no, he came to earth for a different reason. Matter of fact, it's also evident that they didn't understand the glory of Jesus. Because they thought that the glory of Jesus was mainly expressed in his miracles that he performed. And friends, don't we agree that the miracles of Jesus were pretty glorious? When you touch a blind man's eyes and now he can see, that's glorious. When you touch a deaf man's ears and now he can hear, that's glorious. When you can say a word and the storm is calmed, when you can multiply loaves and fishes in your very own hands. Friends, I will admit, those are absolute glorious things, but none of those things compare to the glory that Jesus would show when he did his ultimate work of laying his life down as a substitution and as a sacrifice on the cross. That was his greatest glory. And nobody could see that. They thought of the cross and they could only see humiliation and shame. They thought of the cross and they thought a defeat was happening. But Jesus says, no, when I give my life as a sacrifice for sins, when I make the way, no, not when I make a way, when I become the way for man to come back to God, for sinners to be reconciled to their God, that is the most glorious work that I will ever, ever do. And they couldn't perceive it. But Jesus knew it, even though his brothers doubted it. And that's why we read in verse 5, this almost shocking verse that says, verse 5, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Doesn't that surprise you just a little bit? Should not have Jesus' brothers believed in him? Now friends, when we think about the fact that Jesus had brothers and that they didn't believe in him, at least during the days of his earthly ministry, we wonder about what the family dynamic was in the home of Jesus. That's a different thing altogether, isn't it? Can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus to be the oldest brother in the family? Why don't you make your bed? Jesus does it every morning. (laughs) Can't you pick up after yourself? Jesus always does. You know, it would be naturally that everybody would compare the siblings and the family. And friends, what we have is we have Jesus Christ, the one who never sinned against either God or man, the one who was perfect in everything. You think you grew up with a goody two-shoes. What would it be like to have Jesus right there in the midst? Now again, none of this was Jesus' fault. But you can have some understanding how there might be a strange relationship maybe even a strained relationship between Jesus and his very own siblings. So much so that the ones who should have believed on him the most, his own brothers, at least during the days of his earthly ministry, they did not believe in him. Now, they did come to faith later, after the resurrection of Jesus. But friends, I'm just astounded by the truth that as Jesus walked this earth, his own brothers looked at him and goes, nah, I don't really know if he's the Messiah. I don't really know if he's the son of God. By the way, isn't this to you, it is to me, a remarkable evidence of the truthfulness of the scriptures. If you were making this story up, wouldn't you have Jesus' brothers believe in him more than anything? If Jesus' brothers actually did not believe in him and you were making the story up, you, you wouldn't want people to know that. 
But no, the Bible isn't afraid to say it. They did not believe in him. But it also shows us something else. Not only the integrity of the Bible accounts, it shows us how difficult the life and the work of Jesus was. What do I mean by that? Friends, there are so many of us who know the blessing of a godly home. There are so many of us who have a spouse, even with the gift that I have and my own wife, Inga Lil, to come home to such a loving, supportive home where I know that, look, even though sometimes in the work that I do, either here or abroad or wherever it is, at different seasons in my life, I can feel pretty beat up by the world out there. I can feel kicked around by the struggles that I have to undergo. But when I come home, I know that my wife loves me. I know that she respects me. I know that we have this atmosphere of love and peace and harmony in the home. And it gives me strength. Do you realize that Jesus did not enjoy that from his own family? He couldn't have that refuge in his own home. But friends, that's how it should work. Let's face it, when we go out into this big bad world, we can get beat up pretty bad. God intends that we come home to a refuge. But I'll tell you the flip side of that coin, the flip side is very important as well. You know, you can be the greatest success out there in the big bad world. Man, you got it going in the career and everybody in the office thinks you're a hero. You, you got it going with, with, with the finances. You got it going with all the acclaim and the applause and everybody thinks it's great. But you go home and your wife knows what kind of man you really are and she doesn't respect you? You know deep in your heart that there's something big and hollow there, isn't it? You realize all the accomplishments that I may have out in the world, it doesn't matter very much because this one who's closest to me, they see right through me. Friends, it's a heavy thing. We need to pray for our family life, don't we? We need to pray for our homes that God would make us the kind of husbands, that God would make us the kind of wives that we should be within our homes, the kind of fathers and mothers, so that our homes are a refuge, our homes are a blessing. Jesus never knew that blessing. Jesus hung around his brothers and sisters, those ones who should have been encouraging him, giving him a refuge, and they were trying to bring him down, not lift him up. It just reminds us that sometimes the most difficult place to live out our Christian life is within our very own home. Because that's where the reality is, isn't it? You can put on a face in front of people. You can act out a little drama. But friends, in the home, that's where it shows what kind of person of God you truly are. Well, in any regard, Jesus is going to continue on into verse 6. He's going to reply to his brothers who basically told him, hey, go to the big time, take it to Jerusalem, put on the big show, make yourself famous. Look at Jesus' words here in verse 6. He says... Then Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. You go up to this feast. I am not yet going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. And when he had said these things to him, he remained in Galilee. I I like how Jesus phrases that in verse six. My time has not yet come, but your time is always ready. You know, my brothers, he said unto them, he said, my brothers, I wait on the timing from my God and Father in heaven. So for me, I can't just go out and do whatever I want to do. You guys, you you go right alongside with the flow of this world. You go right alongside with your own mind and your own... So any time is good to you. But to me, 
who take orders from my God and Father in heaven. No, I need to listen to him and I need to be guided by him. Friends, as Jesus obeyed his Father, he lived out the truth that God's timing is an important expression of his will. Do you understand that God may have something for you that is in his will for you, but is not yet for you in his timing? God may have a gift for you. God may have a relationship with you. It is totally his will. He wants to bless you for it. Here's the thing. Don't get ahead of God's timing. And it takes a lot of wisdom. It takes a lot of surrender. It takes a lot of grace from the Lord Jesus Christ for us to go along, not just with the will of God, but with the timing of God and to not run ahead of God, to to, to not lag behind him, but just say, oh, Lord God, keep me in step with your spirit. I don't want to get so far ahead or I don't want to lag so far behind. But, But for those who don't rely on God's timing, man, their time is always ready. They just try to figure it out on their own instead of trying to be guided by the spirit of God for his timing in the individual life. That's what Jesus was trying to explain where he says in verse seven, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Hey, my brothers of mine, Jesus explained to him, you guys just go along with the flow of the world, and so the world loves you. You're like dead fish floating along with the stream. You think you're swimming, but you're just floating with it. It takes something with life to swim against the stream, to oppose the currents of this world and the conventional thinking that it shows. And Jesus says, that's me, but that's not you. So finally, verse eight, he says, I'm not yet going up to the feast. I'm not gonna go up with you guys. So go along with your big procession. Go along with your caravan. Go along with your large company of pilgrims going from Galilee to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. I'm not gonna go up with you all. But then look at what happens in verse 10. But when his brothers had gone up, Then he also went up to the feast, not openly, but as it were, in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, where is he? There was much complaining among the people concerning him. Some said, he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. However, no one spoke openly of him for fear of the Jews. Again, for fear of the religious authorities. So what happens here? Well, in verse 10, we notice that the brothers went up. They went up with the great caravans, with the great processions of people who walked together as pilgrims from Galilee to Jerusalem. But Jesus went a different way and sort of went undercover. Did you notice that phrase there in verse 10? As it were in secret. He wanted to travel alone and he wanted to make his way into Jerusalem without a lot of fanfare. Why? Because he was a wanted man. And he knew that God's timing was important in his ministry. And it was not yet time for him to be arrested and delivered up to the Gentiles. So when he got to Jerusalem, people were talking about him. Verse 12, there was much complaining among the people concerning him. They complained. They wanted Jesus to fulfill their wishes for the Messiah and to fulfill them now when he wanted them. But Jesus said, no, I'm gonna be guided by my father's timing and not by yours. But look now again at verse 12 where it says this. Some said he is good. Others said, no, on the contrary, he deceives the people. I want you to look at verse 12 carefully and notice that people had different opinions about Jesus. 
It's as if one side of the room said, oh, he's good. And another side of the room said, no, he deceives the people. Sorry to make you guys the ones who think he deceives the people. But you get the idea, don't you? Opinions were divided. People had different opinions. Matter of fact, I'll throw in a third opinion that people had about Jesus. Some people said he was good. You get that? Verse 12. Some people said, no, he deceives the people. He's a liar and a deceiver. That's also in verse 12. If you look down at verse 20, you'll see that some people thought that he was a crazy demon-possessed man, where it says, no, we think he has a demon. So there were three different opinions. He's good, he's a liar, he's crazy. Those were basically the three opinions. Now, which one of those three opinions do you think makes the least sense? The least sense. Does it make the least sense to say that he was crazy? Does it make the least sense to say that he's a liar? Friends, let me tell you something. It makes the least sense of all to say of Jesus that he was a good man. Did I just startle anybody here? Well, let me explain to you why. To think that Jesus was merely a good man makes the least amount of sense of all. Why? In light of what Jesus said about himself. Do you understand what Jesus said about himself? Do you understand that Jesus said things about himself and thought things about himself that that no sane or rational or good person would ever think? Let me just tell you what's in the Gospel of John just up to this point about what Jesus said about himself. What, What do I mean? Well, Jesus said, Jesus said that he would raise himself up from the dead. Jesus said that he came from heaven. Jesus said that if you believed on him, you would have eternal life. Jesus said that he gives living water. Jesus said that he's the Messiah. Jesus said that he perfectly obeyed God. Jesus said that he would judge the whole world. I mean, just stop right there. You know, we do the little uh, two-minute greeting thing here at church, and it's all very pleasant and everything, and how about it next time you come to one of our church services? You get, hi, how you doing? Hi, my, my name's David. You know, uh, I'm the Messiah. And uh, I, I just want you to know this, that, that, that I am God's gift to the world from heaven. And I, you'll be happy to know, I perfectly obey God. You know, if I'm saying that to you in the little meet and greet session, you're kind of backing away slowly, aren't you? But but how about if I were to go on and say things like this? I am going to judge the whole world. I am in a place where everyone should honor me just as they honor God the Father in heaven. You know, God, that guy in heaven that you're supposed to worship and honor, yet you're supposed to give that same kind of honor to me. You're stepping away even further during the meet and greet time, aren't you? Well, listen, before long, you're going to call for an usher, a pastor to help you out because Jesus went on to say that he would raise the dead. He went on to say that the Hebrew scriptures actually all speak of and point towards him. And he said that believing on him was the most important thing you could do to please God. And friends, that's just up to John chapter seven. I'm not even talking about the things he says later on. Can we just agree upon something? These were preposterous claims for anybody to make about themselves unless they were true. 
You can't call yourself just a good man and say such things about yourself. I I had it uh, uh, express this because if a man says such things about himself, either he's right or he's wrong. If he's right, if he really is the Messiah, if he really is going to judge the whole world, if he really is the one sent down from heaven, if he really is all of those things that he says about himself, then friends, he's not just a good man. He's God and you should worship him as such. He shouldn't say, hey, what a fine fellow over there. No. You should get down on your knees and give him not only your worship, but the surrender of your life because he is God. He's the one who created you. He's the one who controls all things. He is the living God in human flesh. Now, that's if he's right about everything he said about himself. If he's wrong about what he said about himself, then friends, either... He's a master deceiver who knows that he's wrong and is trying to deceive other people, or he doesn't know he's wrong, and if he doesn't know he's wrong, then he's crazy. He's like the guy, hi, I'm Abraham Lincoln. Did you ever hear my Gettysburg address? You know, that kind of thing. You think, the man's crazy. He doesn't know who he is or who he is not. You know, as a young believer, I had it explained to me like this. Jesus must be either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Has anybody ever heard that formulation? It's really good. If you never heard it before, you're hearing it right now. So remember this. Jesus has to be either liar, lunatic, or Lord. If he was wrong about who he was, and if he knew he was wrong, then he's a liar. I know I'm not God, but I'm going to tell people I am. If he was wrong about who he was, but he didn't know he was wrong, he actually thought he was God, but he's not, then he's crazy. Put him in the padded room. But friends, the only third option is that he is Lord. You know, every person who walks this earth and hears this message about who Jesus Christ is, is compelled to choose either for him or against him. Today, Right now is your moment to choose. You, you got to decide. Will I regard Jesus of Nazareth as a liar? Will I regard him as a lunatic? Or am I going to bow my life and submit my will to him as Lord? And you know what? If I can be very just straightforward with you, I don't mean to be rude when I say this, but it's going to sound a little rude, so I'm apologizing ahead of time. But it really doesn't matter how you feel about this. This is truth. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you regard him as that or not. And because it's true, you as a rational being, as a person created in the image of God, you have a duty and an honor to to, to do what's right and what's true before God and man. He owes, he owns your allegiance, whether you recognize it or not. Now, before I'm done this morning, I'm going to give people an opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ, to publicly recognize, Jesus, I recognize you as Lord. And if you've never done it before, I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do it right now, this morning, just a few minutes as I pray. But what I wanna impress upon you now is this is a choice that you have to make. 
Many of you heard of a writer named C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was a writer from previous generations. Many people know him through his children's books, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, that kind of thing, the movies that they'd made, the books behind it. Wonderful writer, amazing man. He was a great Christian thinker and somewhat of a Christian apologist, someone who explained Christianity. In one of his most important books, a book that's really touched my life, a book he wrote called Mere Christianity... Lewis talked about this idea of that we have to choose. He said this, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman and something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and call him a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. He did not intend to. You need to decide. Liar, lunatic, or Lord. Let me close with one last look at verse 13. Look at the end of verse 13. However, it says, no one spoke openly of him for fear. So you had some people thinking that Jesus was a good man. You had some people who thought that Jesus was a deceiver. You had other people thought that he was a crazy, demon-possessed man. That, that's the buzz going around Jerusalem. But you know what the religious leaders wanted? The religious leaders didn't want you to think about Jesus at all. They had put out a gag order. They're trying to crush free speech. They're trying to say, I don't want you thinking or talking about Jesus at all. Where's this Jesus talk coming from? Don't talk about Jesus. Don't say anything about him. And friends, I see a spiritual analogy to our present day. You know, our world, our culture, they want you to shut up about Jesus. Sometimes I think it's not even bad if people are openly criticizing Jesus. At least they're talking about him. And if people are just talking about Jesus, let me tell you, here's a way to win in the end. If there is a spiritual strategy in our present age, it's not to talk bad about Jesus, it's to shut people up about Jesus. So don't talk about him. Do not bring up Jesus in your neighbor. Don't bring him up at work, at school. No, 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 don't bring up Jesus. And it's the silence, this gag order that Satan puts upon believers that's a masterwork of his strategy. I don't know about you, but if I know that that is the devil's strategy, all the more it makes me, I'm going to talk about Jesus. If the devil doesn't want me to do it, then I want to do it. That's a great way to live your life. If you can discern what the devil's strategy is, do exactly the opposite. So do it. Talk about Jesus. Let his name be often on your lips. And even if people disagree, even if people want to say something bad about Jesus, at least they're hearing about Jesus. And let me tell you, the wheels turn and Jesus has a way of bringing glory to himself. Let me pray right now. And um, after I pray, I'm going to give a very straightforward invitation. When I begin my prayer right now, I'd like the people in our prayer team to come forward and be standing up and ready for prayer. And uh, so if they can come forward right now as I pray. Father in heaven, Lord, when we think about the greatness of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, God the Son, we're humbled before him. And we simply ask God that you would help us, that you'd help every person here this morning to decide and to decide rightly about who Jesus is and the place that he should have in their life. So Lord, would you move in our midst now? Would you give courage to those who need courage? 
to decide for Jesus Christ and to proclaim his name forever. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.